Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well right now. Hello everybody, Matt Guy here. Pro tip for anybody over 30, don't mix your drinks because you'll sound as terrible as I do today. Yeah, sounding terrible and looking terrible. It's a good job we're not on video. Let's just put it that way for for all three of our sakes. <laughs> Hello everyone. You don't... None of us are feeling great today, we're all a little bit shit. <laughs> but, but ironically, Matt, with his Star Wars question before we get into the pod, is looking very much like a Sith Lord with his hood up right now. Mm, I do, to be fair. Yeah, so I've been um, following on TikTok some guy who does wall, uh, wolves, just talking about wolves, does uh, Star Wars edits and like clips old the older films and the newer tv shows and everything 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 and one of the ones he did that was um really good was the scene where darth uh, vader and luke at the end of jedi are um he's taking luke to face palpatine and it's that whole um well my father must truly be dead scene uh, like i still uh, feel the good in you and all that um and someone in the comments had put that by bringing Palpatine back at the end of the sequels, the most recent sequels, that it's completely cheapened and actually ruined the redemption story of Darth Vader. Um, and I just wondered what your two opinions of that were. You know, is by having Palpatine come back, does it ruin the start? You know, the Darth Vader arc for you, or is it just one of those, um, at least for that period of time? Darth Vader did get rid of Palpatine for X amount of time, and and that was great. Or does it not? Do you not think of it that much? Jay, I just wonder what your thoughts, because obviously you're not as anti the sequels as Andy is. Well, no, I, I'm anti the right sequel that everyone should hate, and apart from him, um, hmm, it's a strangely deep question, ain't it, really? Um. I don't think I don't think it ruins it for me with with Vader because to all of the, in terms of purposes he thought that he was gone, so he from where his head well, head in a box was at, um, he had redeemed himself by getting rid of him. Mm. He he wasn't to know that he was going to be held up by wires and all of the kind of whatever the bollocks was at the end of that. Um, so for his arc, then yeah, I don't think he ruins it at all because it's it's his and not the audience's. So yeah, mm. I, don't, I don't think it affects it that much. I think there's other issues within films more than it, uh, bringing back characters in the whole small universe problems that it it brings with it. But no, I don't think it ruins his arc at all. Mm. Andy, what about yourself? Yeah, I think like personally for Anakin Skywalker he will feel redeemed because he banished the dark side but it is cheap because it, it made no sense I don't think it's necessarily cheap to Darth Vader himself I think it's just cheap in the grand story of things mm. that they've made him to be this big bad when he was the man behind the man really because Darth Vader was the man wasn't he he's the one that everyone was supposed to fear and everything so bringing back Palpatine just feels a little bit like 
I don't know what we're going to do. Let's do something and let's get that nostalgic kick again. Because that, let's be honest, that's what J.J. Abrams has pretty much built his career on over the last 20 odd years has all been about that nostalgia hit. Mm. It's funny because watching the um, originals back now, I, I complete because I've been watching Obi Wan and been watching you know Rogue One and everything that I forgot how kind of subservient Vader was in in these films. Like I know he's the big bad man and he's he's the you know the um, protagonist um, and the antagonist in all of this, but like he he was like he was literally just the, the, the bitch to Palpatine and then watching it in terms of like watching the, the, the prequels as well. I kind of just forgot how um, he wasn't quite like, they don't, they build him much better as a menace in Obi-Wan and the, 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 uh, and Rogue One than they do in the actual original films. I, I, well, that's how it felt to me after watching it back now. Yeah. He's very, he's very much a Steve McLaren. He's, he, <laughs> he, he might, he might be dangerous, but he's very much a number two. Um, but I think that what's happened, what's come since the original three films, he's more menacing now than what mm. he was before. Which is mm, bit, I don't think it's probably happened before in any other franchise, really. But like, they, they never really established Palpatine as anyone to like truly be scared of. Like, mm. not in the original trilogy because he is quite easily dispatched of in the end, and in the prequel trilogy he's a bit more of an annoyance than he is like an out and out villain like you don't really fear him you just think he's sort of in the way it's, it's almost like he knows how to protect himself by getting the better villains in almost i think is the the, the thing with palpatine hmm. anyway that was just something that was pondering me and i couldn't wait until the next uh, question cast to ask i'm too impatient <laughs> It's fair, it's a good question though, because I think all of the trilogies that came after the original trilogy have in their own way chipped away at the, the mythos of the original. Like they have sort of cheapened it a little bit, I think, in, in some terms. But yeah, great question. Uh, but we're here to discuss The Crudes, our first animated feature film of Nick Cage's. I... I vaguely remember it being at the cinemas, but I never went to see it. And I've got to be honest, it wasn't one I was particularly looking forward to viewing. Um, Matt, have you got any history with this film or is this new to yourself? Jack Diddley. The only thing I'd even heard about it was it's mentioned in passing in unbearable weight. Like, like um, <laughs> it's the only thing I'd like know about it. I'm, you know, this isn't my bag altogether so no I hadn't heard anything about it and um, fortunately though you know it was something that I watched this morning when I've been really hung over um, it's not like a challenge it's not a challenging watch <laughs> thankfully um, so it was just a ticket for when I'm feeling a bit worse for wear Stu how about yourself obviously with younger kids is this one that your lads have introduced to you or, or vice versa Neither of them have had any interest in this film ever. Um, <laughs> I remember the same thing. I remember the trailer coming out and thinking that looks awful. Um, and and when <laughs> knowing that it it would would get to it at some point, and we we've got past next and all the other kind of nonsense, and we've got a bit of context that it's not going to be as bad as that. So there were that was kind of spur, spurring me on to watch it and. When I started watching it, I thought, I have seen this before, but I don't remember it. 
anywhere, or I, I can't remember where I've watched it. Obviously, it must have been when they were one of them was smaller. Um, but I remember seeing it and thinking, this is not the film that I thought it was being advertised as. Mm. So, sort of like some of the posters are like, like, like completely like technical, a dream coat all over the place, and a kaleidoscope of colour. Which I thought that looks just it looks rubbish. Mm. And then, then you're telling me it's about a caveman going on a journey. Well, that's a different film to what that looks like. Yeah. Now, when I actually read what it was about, I thought, okay, I'm into this now, and I was I was more excited because the poster just didn't do it for me at all. Mm. Um, so this one is from Dreams Works Workshop, whatever they're called. They're not the daddy. I mean, they're not Disney or Pixar. You know, when it comes to this genre of film, they're the the be all end all, really, aren't they? How do you feel about DreamWorks as a company? I mean, just looking through the the franchises that they've done, so we've had Trek, Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, Matt, DreamWorks. I mean, for me, I always find them a little bit lacking in... I mean, they're, they're normally fun, but they lack a little bit of depth, I find, DreamWorks. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I know what you mean. Though they really did you know, strike gold with Shrek, didn't they? Until they, you know, it came like the American Pie of animated films. Though they just started churning them out. Mm. Like it was out of fashion. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking down the list of films that they do um, that they've done, and there is a lot of like fodder here that no one really gives a shit about. Like yeah. ones that will be directly on Netflix for kids within like six months. <laughs> um, yeah, there's quite a lot of uh, filler here and not a lot of thriller. Um, but sometimes they do hit gold. Um, but it's a lot of like, how do you how do you put this nicely? Um, it's a lot of Channel Five esque stuff <laughs> as opposed to premium HBO content, kind of. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Absolutely, Stu. How about yourself? Where do you sit with uh, DreamWorks? Well, for me, it was I like Madagascar more than the others, and obviously mm. then the and the Penguins of Madagascar. I thought that that's stuff that I can. I actually enjoy rather than tolerate, but looking at like the dragon stuff, trolls don't care. Boss Baby was all right. I enjoyed that um, film, not the series. But then you are like, like, how to train your dragon? It might be good. It might be fine. Monsters v Aliens might be good. It's just very much. It's not us, is it? This is the thing. Mm. It's like with the Disney Pixar stuff. It's obviously aimed at kids, but. It has adult themes and references that adults are going to get. A lot of this stuff doesn't. And mm. we tell like with the illumination stuff with like Despicable Me, where that's very clearly more adult orientated, but within the realms of the uh, <clears throat> the ratings to get to the kids' eyes. It just seems a very. It's all. This is the easy way to make money. Like it's Shark Tale, is that another one? A DreamWorks one as well. So I remember, I remember don't with, think this is one of theirs, but I, I know that kind of yeah, film that you that mean, kind yeah. of film. It's it looks like I mean, thirty years ago it would have blown our minds looking like they do, but now they're so we're so used to it. It's like the mm. Jurassic uh, Jurassic World problem. What they, what they say there, well, the audience needs more, and we do because this doesn't it excite us on its own. Yeah, but they churn so much of it out, and it's for kids, not for us. Whereas this one seemed to be a bit more mature in themes, to, at least to start with anyway. 
it did feel a bit more all age, I think, compared to some of the other ones. You are yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so this one, obviously, it had Nick. It also had Emma Stone, Ryan Reynolds, who we've discussed ad nauseum on this pod. Um, Clarice Leachman, Catherine Keener, Clark Duke. Quite a few sort of known faces in there. Directed by Chris Sanders, who's got a lot of animated credits to his name as a designer, actor, director. He started way back in The Muppet Babies, Lilo and Stitch, uh, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. Like, he's done a lot. And he was co-directed with Kirk D'Amico, I think it's pronounced. Um, he's got a few writing credits, but nothing particularly well-known or even well-reviewed. Probably the best of which was Racing Stripes or Space Chimps. So not really much of a, uh, a known factor in this one. IMDb describes this film as after their cave is destroyed, a caveman family must trek through an unfamiliar fantastical world with the help of an inventive boy. Tonight we'll hear the story of Crispy Bear. <clears throat> a long time ago, this little bear was alive because she listened to her father, so she was happy. But Crispy had one terrible problem. She was filled with curiosity. Yes, and one day she saw something new and died. Just like that? Yes. <sighs> Same ending as every day. <laughs> I get it, Dad. I will never do anything new or different. Good man, Thunk. <sighs> always survived by living by my dad's one rule. Never leave the cave. We never had the chance to explore the outside world. But what we didn't know was that our world was about to change. You really need to see this. The film begins with a voiceover from Eep, that's Emma Stone's character, telling the audience that her family lived to a set of rules to keep safe, but the world is about to change and even their rules couldn't protect them. We then get our first look at the family, which is Grug, Uga, Gran, Thunk and Sandy, a normal prehistoric family who go hunting together. We get a bit of a wild race across the deserts where the family try to capture an egg and how they fight off a whole host of creatures. Grug is Cage, 
uh, the overly cautious patriarch. Uga is his wife, whose entire character seems to begin and end at woman. Gran is a <laughs> kooky gran. Thunk and Sandy are the two other kids who also don't really have much of a character other than they're a bit silly. And Eep is the curious daughter who is tired of having to hide and wants to explore the world. It gives me like strung Little Mermaid vibes straight off the bat, I thought here. Uh, what do we think about the artwork in this one, Matt? I loved it. I, and I didn't, I watched it on the telly upstairs, which is um, it's not a 4K TV. Um, and I was stunned at how beautiful it was. I thought the I thought the animation was excellent. Um, it just it just looked really visually. It just popped. I thought it looked gorgeous. To be honest, I was really impressed by it. Um, and they really throughout the whole film, not just the opening stretch. You mm. really use color. Um, it was like being in a Mario game and being in distinct different levels where you're green. You had your greens and your reds and your blues, like for each area. You know, mm. when when they were when they were doing like Greenland, it was super great, it was vibrant. Um, and I thought, yeah, I thought one of the points I was going to make was around the animation style. I thought really, really popped, and in, it just felt different in a way. I don't, I don't know the techniques, the technical stuff behind it, but it felt different and, and felt nice. There's quite a lot of texture to it, wasn't that? Especially mm. once they got out of the the cave desert land at the beginning in, into the more for, foresty area that comes up. It, it, there was like a depth to it that wasn't there earlier. I think some of the images and that that I'd seen had been very much the cave wasteland. So when it got to it, I, I was really quite surprised. And it also gave me something of um, an Aardman vibe to the characters, mm. which I thought was really cool. Stu? How are you feeling about it? You know what? I've, uh, because I couldn't help myself, I thought that as well with the Ardman thing. And it was mm. originally an Ardman project. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. There you are. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, same. It wasn't my my original issue with it, with, with it being so bright and ridiculous and over the top did work perfectly because... I thought, well, okay, that that's they've got to sell it somewhere, and mm. to have it like looking a bit like Burnley um, to start yeah. with, then <laughs> it did work perfectly. It was very much like um, like the land before time, you know, when they when they go to the uh, after they they go from the barren wasteland into the greenery and the the, the nice place where they can live forever. It was very similar to that kind of thing, where. It worked, and it shouldn't be surprising 30 years on from watching that film that these kind of things can carry on being done over and over again. And obviously, I did watch it in 4K HDR. And perfect, perfectly so, rather than on the projector, because I wanted to see it because of the colours and and a few of the previews that I, I read beforehand, which, again, I never normally do this kind of stuff for, the, for these films. But something about this one, I, I kind of had to convince myself to do it so much that mm. this was one of the selling points. And I thought, okay, I'll watch it in the best possible way then. So that's what I did. And yet, I, I, I'm hands up, I was wrong with it. I was very wrong because it works and it's great. Late one evening, Eep is awoken by a light. She goes to investigate and a man in a boar's head mask is there, stalking her. That's Guy, played by Ryan Reynolds. Guy is a relatively modern-aged boy, tells Eep that he has seen visions of an apocalypse. 
Grug finds Eep and when they get back, Eep tells the family that she's found something new. They all jump in fear as new is dangerous. The family argue about this boy she has found and there is an earthquake, just like Guy predicted. The earthquake destroys the family's cave, opening their small little world into a vast, green, plentiful land with flying turtles and other fantastical flora and fauna. Just before the indigenous animals are able to eat the croods, Guy returns with fire to scare away the deadly creatures. As Guy saves the croods, Grug forces Guy to stay with them and they decide to look for a cave at the large mountain in the distance. That's the end of the first act at about half an hour. Our family is in a scary new world. They're going to need to get back home. Seems pretty straightforward premise, to be honest. Um, we've got some creatures we've never seen before, like piranha birds, four-legged whales, elephant mouse, which is actually a small elephant rather than a large mouse. Um, how are we finding it, Stu? This, as well as the visuals, this was one of the things that would put me off because, well, it's supposed to be kind of like historical, but it's clearly bollocks. And <laughs> once once I'd got my mind around that, that it didn't matter that all these creatures are being made up and have got no semblance to anything at all. And the fact that we're talking about cavemen who talk to each other and all that, it's not historically accurate, is it? So once I got, got my head around that part of it, Oh, it was, it was all in, man. It, it, it was like it was like Avatar. <laughs> you know, like, so the the creatures, like the, the flying piranha birds. That was I thought oh, to make them look like them things in that that old um, that Guinness advert with them with the birds that go in the in the in the formations in the sky to do that, and then they're, when they're skinning skinning things alive, I thought oh, that's genius, just genius, and, and to make it look pretty as well. Mm. <laughs> when you're effectively just watching death. But yeah, I, I was surprisingly in on it, where I really didn't think I would be after five minutes in. Twenty-five minutes later, I want to—I want to know more about it. I'm, I'm very shocked. Super, Matt, are you all in as well at this point? Yeah, I think so at this point. Yeah, we hadn't got to like the the thematical side of this yet like it goes off in a really weird direction this film in terms of it comes far deeper than it has any right to mm -hmm. be um but um at this point yeah i thought it was still it was fun yeah it was um i didn't really know where it was going the fact that belt the sloth whatever the fuck he is um kept it it brought it back to being a kids film because at some point it's like it really isn't um, and it was still funny, you know, and there was still those elements to it as well. But I was, I was enjoying it all the same. My, my, we haven't got to the bit with the shoes yet, have we? Not no. quite. No, no. basically, so I was feeling so awful. I had to take an, an intermission and have a nap midway through. <laughs> so I'm a bit time wise on what happened in the film. I'm a bit all over the place, but yeah, it was. Um, I was, I was enjoying it. Yeah, I'd, uh, I was, you know. No point was I checking my phone or wondering how long was left or anything like that. I was committed. Mm, yeah, I, I completely agree with both. If you had the very opening where it's in the, the desert, I just, it, like I said, it felt very Little Mermaid and it felt like it was going to be quite a formulaic, generic film that we've seen a million times. But as soon as I got into the forest and it opened up and it was a whole new world, I thought, actually, this is not what I was expecting at all. 
and yeah, I was I was hooked. I was really interested to see where we were going next. The entire walk to the mountains is filled with the crudes wanting food. They go for a piss stop. They're tired. They're grouchy. It's all the type of travel jokes you'd expect from a kids film, effectively. After Grug fails to capture a bird when hunting, Guy teaches them how to hunt more practically. Then after a poor attempt at storytelling from Grug, Guy tells the family a story, having them enraptured, telling them of a place called Tomorrow, where things are better than today or yesterday. Guy attempts to escape from behind the crew's captive, but returns. Love is in the air with him and E. Along the way, Guy invents shoes, stilts, monkeys eating bananas, umbrellas and the brain. The family begin to like Guy and the exciting ideas that he has brought to their lives. All except for Grug, who worries about his family loving the new fella. And just becoming jealous because having fun was never part of his rules. Eventually they make it to the mountain. The impending apocalypse is still chasing them. Grug tries to push them into a cave for protection, but his family all tell Grug they're going to ride a wave into tomorrow. Incensed, Grug tries to attack Guy for stealing his family away. They end up in a tar pit stuck together, the tar binding them. Grug and Guy have a heart-to-heart, and they finally find their way to work together. So the end game is approaching. Uh, We're about 80-odd minutes in at this point, so how have we found the middle portion of this film? Mass. Uh, so it was, it, I'd say, halfway through where, the way you were describing it is when we really started to get some of the more deeper elements of this. And you had, you know, the father daughter conflict, and you had, you know, old school versus new school, and you had, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that are going on here that, like, really just surprised me. There's, there, there was story, you know. Those themes about like just accepting who you are and 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 not trying to be be yourself and all that kind of stuff and just it was really wholesome but at the same time you it was deep oddly <laughs> deep mm-hmm. um, you really feel like well at least I did for um, for Grug and um, kind of him not being able having to let go and the passing of time and everything else and just wanting to do the best for his family like it. Genuinely emotional in parts, especially a bit that's coming up. Um, and I was just like, "Wow, I wasn't expecting this." Especially for a film. I know it sounds ridiculous. That's rating wise, are you? Mm. Because you know, there's no real jeopardy or death or anything like that. You know, in the film, in terms of all violence, is all very slapstick. Um, but it tugged on the heartstrings, and it um, it was just. It was a surprise, really. Like the themes that were that were in there. I don't know if the kids would have understood the themes, and would it have meant was was the colourfulness and belt the kids bit, and it's actually all for the adults. I don't know, but I was enjoying it nonetheless. Because mm. I think there's the scene where Grug tries to square up to one of the uh, the monkeys in the forest. And in order to, in the first time around, he gets his ass kicked. But the second time around, Guy gives the monkey a banana and everything's okay. And I really like that scene of, like, Greg is a man, a Grug is a man of his time. So he thinks that the violence is the way forward. But actually, the second time around, he learns a lesson and he 
improves as a person. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a case of him being old fashioned to a fault. It's a case of him being able to adapt with the way time is going in spite of everything changing around him that he doesn't quite like. And yeah, whether or not kids would understand that when they're watching it, I have absolutely no idea. Mm -hmm. But as an adult watching it now, I thought actually this is, this is more than tolerable. This is actually quite enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Stu, how are you finding it? The the middle portion? Yeah. um, I'm going out of limb and say they wouldn't have any clue what was going on with this. (laughs) Um, Just, just thinking back to my own thing about the previous best um, prehistoric film land before time, where when I watched that as a kid, I didn't get any of the stuff of what was going on. It just looked pretty and it had talking dinosaurs in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's as simple as. Then you watch it for the 10th time and whatever when you're in your 30s and you think, well, this is actually superb. <laughs> but the whole thing about like, oh, yeah, life is for living or just existing, that whole kind of existential crisis that they just threw in, <laughs> you can't do this. Well, obviously, he's a, he's a simple man. He just wants to survive. He just he doesn't want to do anything fancy. But it's only purist like, and he's absolutely he's absolutely fine doing that. But then you you throw something else in there where mm. the concept of fun, um, into Andy Joe, but no, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean though, he, 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 I just didn't expect it because he, he, it's not in no in no point up until when she she first says it to him you get this idea that this is the kind of film it's going to turn into from nowhere. It kind of morphs from just a kind of, oh, it's pretty silly, whatever it is, to being deep and think and meaningful and making you think about things. And like, like that's there when he's half dying this morning. And that is a kind of existential crisis. And it's just great. It's got no, no right being as good as it is. And I think it's, We'll mention it later, but up until this point, I mean, the whole thing about being stuck on the tar as well, and like, oh, then you're linking back to the families and the stuff, how it was like whimsical earlier on at the start of the film. Oh, these families, they got eaten and they died, and they, they these got the common cold and they died. And then you go, yeah, your family, oh, he got killed by tar. You're like, fucking hell. <laughs> We're a green way to die. <laughs> and you, you need to be the one left. And then they invents his way into it. It's it's like a film student's wet dream. This film is. It's amazing. It, it is, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> After escaping from the tar pit, the apocalyptic eruption catches up with them, encircling them, giving them no way out. Until Grug realizes that the old ways wouldn't work any longer. They need to look to the light, and not the dark of the caves. Grug then picks up every member of his family in turn and throws them over the scorched earth into the light. Everyone makes it across except for Grug. When he throws Eep across, the land he was standing on falls away. He scampers back, but the hole in the earth is just too vast for him. Eventually, Grug gets his first ever idea. He manages to use the animals to create a hover ship, reuniting with his family and all is well in the world. I've skipped over quite a bit of the emotional heft because I feel that that's for us to discuss now. Matt, the ending, how sweet was it? Yeah, it was. The whole um, hug, grug, the grug invented hug. Mm. 
Um, it was it was lovely. Like I just couldn't. Yeah. I can't get it. It was just it was just really nice, and um, I didn't see that bit coming. It, like you can't kill him off. Like I get that. It's a kids' film. It's a youth film, and everything. Um, but it was just you felt you felt so like vindicated for him, like that he got to do like if he if he had have died, and he just did what he wanted to do as a father and it was protect his kids and protect his family. And it was just super sweet. Like it was, it was just, it was brilliant. Like I can't, I was surprised that they went that way with it and made it so um, emotional, get you so emotionally invested because they wouldn't, they didn't need to. It's a kid's film that looks great. And that is oftentimes enough to get you through. Like it had no right to be, that emotionally good but it was and um that was the biggest and most pleasant surprise out of it yeah i can completely agree and i really liked the jeopardy of grug when he couldn't get across the the, the cavern at the end i honestly had no idea how they were going to get out of it like i mean i've seen a lot of films with absolutely zero jeopardy in them and they're people literally dying in the movies but this one felt like it had more jeopardy than most of the stuff I've seen. Stu, yeah. how are you feeling? I mean, there, there was no... I, mean, I suppose in a, in a kind of way, it was Chekhov a little bit, I suppose, how, how they managed to get over the ravine in the end. But you wouldn't have gone back and think of it as such, would you? You think It wouldn't cross your mind thinking, oh, that, we can do it this way. Yeah, genius. Absolute genius. And obviously, like you said earlier, I have seen a lot of these fil- kind of films these kiddie things that because you kind of have to, and the, a lot of them are shit, and a lot of the time is spent watching CBBS and and films that are just that, apart from Bluey, obviously, which is one of the greatest shows ever made. A lot of the kids' TV is crap. It's got it's made for made for merchandise. We all know this anyway. It's not a revelation, is it? To be so clever about things. It's I, I was I was just baffled. It baffled me how how it's now it's so niche and un, everyone knows what this film is, but no one has seen it. Mm. Yeah, like no one. Like the amount of times you hear people referring back to the likes of Shrek or Toy Story or whatever, and they're probably better films in the grand scheme of things. But I've never heard anyone mention this film before, which no. seems like a crying shame. Like it's a real mistrick. It doesn't even film-wise. It probably isn't the best, but it's one of the cleverest, definitely. Yeah, I loved it. It's great. Right, the budget on this one it was somewhere between one hundred and thirty-five and one hundred and seventy-five million. Uh, the box office more than trebled it. Um, it's got five hundred and eighty-seven million at the international box office. So yeah, more than trebled the top end of the estimate. The Croods was the fourteenth biggest grossing film of two thousand and thirteen, and the fourth highest animated of the year. Uh, there were some big hitters in two thousand and thirteen uh, in animation. Frozen was the number one film. Um, Despicable Me Two was the third highest grossing and Monsters University was the seventh highest grossing. 
So, like, it was up against pretty stiff competition, in all fairness. So, it, it still did pretty damn well, all things considered. Um, the Croods was even Oscar-nominated, alongside Despicable Me 2, Ernest and Celestine, The Wind Rises, and the eventual winner, which was Frozen. So, yeah, a, not a bad year, all things considered. Uh, the ratings on this one. Do you want to tell me what you think they'll be, audience and critical? Uh, Stu? I mean, to, to, to treble its its cost is pretty epic, especially like with the films out that, that year at the same time. I can't see being less than less than an eight, really, um, from audience-wise, eight, 80%. Critically... Critically, I'm going to say about about a six because if it was more than that, you we would have known. I mean, it would have been plastered everywhere, and it's mm. exactly the kind of themes that they'd normally be wanking themselves silly over, which is confusing. Whether well, not, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go six sixty for for critics, just out of bafflement. Mass, what do you think? Yeah, I think audience is going to be high eight eight point five. You know. Um, People that have took it as a popcorn film, people who've took their kids will have come out of it and gone, Oh man, I really enjoyed that. I didn't I just only taken it for the kids to go see. So I think they'll they'll rate it highly. But you know, the fun police aren't gonna like this, are they? To be honest, I don't think I think critics will 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 pan it. Again, pretty much bang on what Stu said about six six point five. Surprisingly, it's solid sevens across the board. Um, IMDb has got a 7.2, Rotten Tomatoes audience is a 77% and the critical score is a 71%. So, yep, everyone's giving it a solid seven, which, like some of the films we've seen, the disparity between the audience and the critical have been vast. So I'm quite surprised at how in line they are on this one. Mm, The Pablo Sarabia of uh, (laughs) of rating reviews. (laughs) So the critical response, Brian Eggert of Deep Focus Reviews wasn't a fan. No amount of chuckle-worthy voice work or pretty pictures can make up for how predictable it all feels. On the other hand, Laramie Legal of Film.com, How to Train Your Dragon and Lilo and Stitch are completely indicative of the experience you'll have with the Croods, which is to say a supremely positive one. Bilge Abiri, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that one right. Uh, the Crude isn't particularly smart, but it has enough wit to keep us engaged and just enough speed to keep us from feeling restless. Uh, the fan response, the maniacs at Amazon.com gave it a very positive 4.6 out of 5, with 91% giving it either a 4 or a 5 star review. Uh, only two reviews that were worthy of mention. Cara gave this a one star. I accidentally rented this thinking it was cross to watch five seconds to realise it was the wrong one and then couldn't return it because I'd watched five seconds. Big waste of money. I do think that Amazon shouldn't allow reviews on there which aren't about the actual film. <laughs> like, because she's a fucking idiot. That's not the film's fault, is it? Jeez. Uh, also, we've got someone else. Anyway, Forcon is his name, who gave it a one-star review. They are advertising for evolution silently. They named the superstar Eep, referring to the monkey species. Crudes equal Karud in Arabic means monkeys. 
So he's not a fan because this is all about evolution, apparently. <laughs> so that was a one-star review. Uh, so the good, the bad, and the crazy. Stu, kick us off, please. I mean, the, the good is, is how good it looks. When we, we, we touched on it earlier. But, I mean, same year as, as Frozen and Monsters University. And when you consider how revolutionary Sully was in Monsters, Inc. in the first place... Like the hair and the fur physics in this that we have, it's stylized, yeah, but it looks great. And a lot of these things, like you could go like reboot again, like from from ninety four, which is bad. And you're still only getting early hair physics in the two the rebooted term. Read a game for this this year. So again, let alone being as, as vibrant and good as it does look. Hair and fur always is one of them kind of things. It's either it sells it or it looks bad. It looks plasticky and it looks terrible. This, it works perfectly for what they're doing. And maybe the the kind of, like the Moana effect of the, the, how everything's emphasized, maybe that helps towards it. I don't know. But whatever they did with it, it worked great. So very well done there. Um, the bad. I mean, the only thing that really annoyed me was the hot with the constant kind of the mother-in-law gag, which was like, "Why is this here?" <laughs> like it's, it seems like it's thirty years out of date. And it, is this for the grandparents taking their their youngs, their little ones? Is is this why that's here? Like I heard it once, and I thought, oh. and then. It happened about six times. And I know, obviously, there's redemption in the end. And he counts her as one of the family at the end. But it just seemed really strange. I couldn't give a flying fuck about the PC brigade and all that all that kind of stuff. But it just seemed out of place and like it didn't fit the film at all. <laughs> Don't know why. Um, which kind of went into... I mean, the crazy is the fact that out of all the weird stuff about it, which I actually knew this as well from school days... Um, Heather didn't care about animals or time periods and physics and whatever. Um, how the actual way every time they went somewhere, he'd count how many people were there because that was an evolutionary thing. Because obviously they couldn't communicate or know names of each other other than noise. So counting was a way of making sure that everyone in the tribe was still together. Although that's a really clever thing to put into a film like this where you really don't care about anything else, but it's true. So there we are. Very fun. Brilliant. Matt, what about yourself? So the good for me, I know you mentioned at the start that everybody, the family members at first were kind of just there, didn't really have anything distinguishable about them. But at the end of the film, they all, bar the mum, I think, all de- develop characters as, as it goes on. And they all have something like the story about um, the son. I can't remember what his name was, you know, getting the pet and actually having someone, you know, get the courage and, uh, and you know, a bit like the wizard of Oz with a cowardly lion. And then obviously there's all of the stuff around with, with, with guy and uh, Grug and everybody, the whole family does get, uh, there is development as the film goes on, which again, I didn't expect really. Um, even with, uh, is it Chunky? Is it Chunky, the name of the saber cat, big fat cat thing? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there was a relationship and a personality there as well. And it's just, 
they do it really well. Um, like I mentioned before, there's no need for them to invest so much in it because they could have got away with it just being a good looking film that is for kids and they just they just carry on and that's that. Um, the bad, uh, nitpicking. Firstly, the shoes thing annoyed me because they're wearing clothes anyway, so shoes shouldn't be something that should have amazed them. Um, yeah. But secondly, I mean, it's not quite... Um, we're taking the hobbits to Isengard, but the the whole like trek for them going it, it, towards the end started to feel a little bit. It, it dragged on a little bit from the point where, um, how do I put it, the bit when they're all separated in the caves and they're all you know all going their own separate ways and they blow mm. the horn and everything else. At that point, I was like, okay, when are we getting? to the to the climax of it now i don't know if it's just because when i when i saw the runtime i thought a bit long this isn't it this is going to be a bit of a drag <laughs> yeah it, at that point then i'd have ramped it up a little bit more and it, it just went a little bit it ran slightly too long by like 15 minutes for me that was the only thing mm-hmm. um the crazy um there is a subsection of the internet here that have a fascination with how sexy Eep is Oh my now, god. I um so when I was um, I was researching the film and I was looking and I was like, what are the ages of these characters? Because <laughs> they did because I no, because I'd read a review when I was looking at it that were like they didn't like the romantic elements of um Guy and Ape. Mm-hmm. They were like, This is a kid's film, we shouldn't have like sexual tension in this film. And then on the back of that, I thought, how old is so she's nineteen in here? And then I saw someone else's comment when they put um, there's a death by snoo snoo element to her. So if you don't watch Futurama, um, Fry and the gang basically um, encounter these Amazonian women who basically have sex to kill like men um, in uh, in the show. That's more more or less um, mm. how it goes. And then there's just this mad subsection of the internet that are just obsessed with each character. And I'm going to read to you um, a Reddit post, which had me in tears of laughter. Um, <laughs> Crude's sexy is it's um, is the is the title. I was watching Crude's and I couldn't help but get a boner that lasted many hours. The many <laughs> shots of Eep's fat cooter couldn't leave my memory. <laughs> She is so hot. In fact, my obsession with Eep has gone way too far. I miss Thanksgiving because I was busy masturbating to Eep on. My model girlfriend dumped me over this. I accidentally called her Eep during intercourse, but it made the sex so much better. God, I wish I was Guy. Can someone help me or relate? <laughs> Just like, I thought it was so funny. And then I read down the, I read down the comments. Um, then someone put, this is fake. There isn't that much Eep porn. <laughs> <laughs> obviously they searched for it in the first place um it was because she's the, the way that they um made her stature wise and body wise she's obviously not like tall and slim and there's even a line in it where she says he uh guy goes god you're heavy and she's like oh thank you so yeah. back, like mm. at, actually in in these kind of times um if you were eating and you were heavier i suppose um not uh, what kind of what biologically or I suppose that was a sign that you were a healthier person the more weight you had because you were you, you were scab- you were hunting and gathering food and stuff like that and I just thought that was a funny line as well and um, she wasn't like a skinny um, slender character and they put her in a, they made her in a way that she was kind of like 
had some junk in the trunk, which I'm personally not a not a, um, a hater of it at all. Um, and this subsection of the internet gets off on it quite a bit, which just makes me just find hilarious. They did show quite a lot of thigh thinking about it now. So, that, I mean, this is perfectly understandable behaviour. Um, but it's very much... What's the... Working on, I think, the girl entangled. What's her name? Oh, yeah. I can't remember. Um, it's not Rapunzel, is it? <laughs> but it basically is. But no, that's the that's the one in, in the tower. You know the one I'm on about the ginger one. Oh, sorry, yeah. I think of the wrong film. Yeah, no, it's the right film. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, laying your hair. That is the right film. Mm. Um, but nothing about the ginger one. How that she's not like your stereotypical Disney princess either. And obviously, this is not Disney, but that kind of thing, and and that tangled would have been a, b- a few years before this. So it, it, there's a very similar vibe to the two of them. If you look, if you compare, compare and contrast, there could be like prehistoric like relatives. <laughs> right. So my good, um, like I looked at the list of the DreamWorks films as you mentioned earlier, and like this comfortably sits in the top 75% for me like quite easily looking at stuff like Shrek, Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda How to Train Your Dragon, The Boss Baby Trolls Like it's a, it's at least as good as I'd say Shrek because I think Shrek is probably the best of, of the bunch to be perfectly honest but being barely spoke of it's a hidden treat which I think is fantastic um, it was really quite wholesome like there was something that pretty much everyone on earth can identify with here. And don't get me wrong, it's probably not the best animation you'll see. It's not the best storytelling. It is a little bit generic in parts. But it's greater than the sum of its parts, I think would be quite fair to say here. It ended up being a really enjoyable experience for me. Uh, the bad, I feel like I'm probably nitpicking here. Um, Guy is supposed to be a young adult in this part, but Ryan Reynolds is clearly 40 plus and he he doesn't have an innocence to his voice. So, I mean, whether or not it's just because he's gone on to do Deadpool, so we, we associate him with something a little less um, family friendly. It didn't sit right with me with him and Ape. Like, she does sound quite innocent and childlike, not childlike, but like the age she's supposed to be. But Ryan Reynolds just didn't suit that role for me at all. Um, He's very lightweight, but, I mean, you can take that as a good or a bad. It's lightweight in parts, but as you say, in other parts, there's quite a lot of heart. They probably balanced it really quite well, thinking about it. Uh, The crazy, I had a dig through the IMDb trivia section. Uh, A couple of interesting bits which stood out to me. So DreamWorks designed Grug specifically with Nick Cage in mind. Apparently Cage turned down DreamWorks before, so they weren't sure he was going to take this role. He was previously offered the role of Shrek, but he didn't like the character design and turned them down over that. Uh, And the other one, which is something I didn't expect to be saying, um, it is seen as a reference to the philosopher Plato. Um... (laughs) <laughs> so there's much resemblance to Plato's fable, The Cave, a metaphor for the mental limitations people are burdened by. Only a few people can learn to think outside the parameters of convention and see the vast, diverse world of possibilities outside of their own personal cave. But that's ridiculously highbrow for a Nick Cage animated film about <laughs> cavemen. 
yeah, so that's mine. Um, Matt, did you enjoy the film? Yeah, I loved it. Thought it was uh, thought it was great. Um, never would I have dreamt that like I'd look to go and see a sequel of a cavemen um, animated film. But, <laughs> watched, but yeah, I'll probably will go out of my way to watch it. To be fair, and not just because of the podcast, just because it's uh, it's an enjoyable thing to watch. Stu, did you enjoy the film? Yeah, and I did this exactly the same thing. I tried to, so I expected it to come up next on Netflix, and obviously it's not there, is it? Um, but yeah, I can't. I honestly can't wait for the second for the second one to talk about it. And it, in a way, I kind of want to not even look at anything about it until we do it, and just going completely blind because this this was going against my normal grain of things. Yeah, lovely. Look, absolutely lovely. Great. Very, very surprised by something that normally would be very up my alley. But yeah, loved every, loved every minute of it. Which mm. we can't say that about a lot of these things. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with both of you. I went in expect. There's a thing with animation where they do. This is a joke for the kids. This is a joke for the adults. And I don't feel that they really did that in this film. It just felt like it was comedy for everybody which was quite refreshing to see for a change. So, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed myself watching this. So it was brilliant. Uh, based on this film and this film alone, was Nick Cage good or was Nick Cage bad? Stu? Now, this, I don't actually know. Because I know I can't remember if he'd done any, any voice video stuff before, but because he, he was his character model was so different and like so hench compared to what he is like majority of the time, it was really odd and off-putting to start with because you were kind of thinking, well, the voice doesn't match the body. Like We know that it doesn't look like this. And like you said with Ryan Reynolds as well. But then you compare it to some of the stuff like we've mentioned about um, what if and getting normal normal Hollywood actors to do voiceover that are not used to it. It can go badly wrong. I don't think it went badly wrong. I just think it was a it was weird because we know what he looks like and that's not what he is and because he, he's we're not used to him doing that. So getting over that weird little bumper side, I think he did a decent job. And it, yeah, you could have replaced him with Adam Sandler or whoever, but that, it's not really the point. It, we've kind of seen him in this kind of uh, bumbling dad role a, a few times, well, probably since, um, and he does it quite well. So yeah, I think yeah, he was good. Matt, good or bad? Yeah, good. I I think the, the there was only in really small parts, but there was there were definite elements of this that only Cage could have pulled off as well. Like when he puts the rug on his head and starts trying to be the cool guy, and he comes up with those, those inventions that fail. Like he mm. did that really well, um, and it was nice to to see him do something that didn't rely on him being Nick Cage. He, you know what I mean? He didn't have to come in with it and be him. He was, the animation side of it helped because he just got to just use his voice and be the character as opposed to Nick Cage being the character playing a character. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I, I think it worked really well. I'd like, I think as a, actually as a voice actor, he, he, he's really, really surprised me. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say good for sure. Yeah, clean to me. I, I thought he was good as well. Um, he added a bit of depth to the character. Like 
how many times have we seen animation where especially the big name in the film is very much like it sounds like they just recorded it in their own basement at home because they couldn't be asked to go into the studio and do it. This didn't feel like that. It felt like he was there with them when he recorded it. It felt very much like it was a a proper group thing and it, it worked. I do think there was a couple of little like Cajun flourishes <laughs> where, where he almost did like a Mandy style scream and shout and stuff like just odd little gags here and there, which I, d- I don't Mandy. think Adam Sandler would have done, done even. I think Adam Sandler would have tried to do something silly and Cage didn't feel like he was being silly. Cage felt like he treated the, the, the script with actual reverence, like it was worthy and, that's the difference between a cage and someone like Adam Sandler who will play it for yucks rather than playing it straight. So, yeah, I thought Nick Cage did really well in this. I thought he was um, fantastic. And the final question, I want you to finish the sentence. If you enjoyed The Croods, you may also like. Matt? Now, if, you watch, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I might um, watch Croods with my kids. Don't watch this. Um, so this is blockers or cock blockers, uh, <laughs> where you are, because it has that um, story of letting go of you. They're not kids anymore; they're young adults. And whilst it's a really hilarious film, and it's like you know, it's really rude in parts and everything, that bit of the story remains, and he's actually done really well. Um, and Cena's great in it as well, and I'm um, I'm a big fan of John Cena um, in his acting roles. So, yeah, Blockers is is really funny, but it has that sweet underbelly of that theme of kind of uh, parents and letting their kids go and letting them be their you know be their own people, and it does it in, in quite a fun way. Yeah, that's a great choice. I never even considered that. Great call, uh, Stu. Obviously, land before time because I've said it four times already. Um, but dinosaurs, the series, the puppet, mm. the puppet series, which again you watch it now. I think it's on Disney Plus. Um, if not, it should be. But it, the whole not the mama thing and the stay-at-home dad and all that kind of the, and doing the cooking and all the whole nonsense of it is very similar to this where. It's anthropomorphic, out of time things, and but it's just really well done, and for the time as well. In the late nineties, it was really good, and mm-hmm. when I when I watched it again, when it, when it was really touched up and brought back for whatever service it was on, it still works and it still holds up and it's still quite sweet and it's still a lot better than and a lot deeper than people think in the way that this is as well. So yeah, dinosaurs. Great choice. Uh, to be fair, mine was going to be um, The Land Before Time, but like mentioned it several times, so not really much point in going that one. So I will go with an animated film that I think is told probably from Eep's point of view more so. <laughs> I was just trying to find it on um, this thing. Um, it's Onward. I was trying to remember who else was in it. Yeah. And just kicked off with Annie. Onward, on the face of things, probably shouldn't enjoy because it's Tom Holland and Chris Pratt, two people who we've had like overkill of in the last you know decade or so. But it's a really sweet film from the kids' point of view. On um, obviously these two, they've lost their father, and they get a chance to spend a little bit of time with him um, 
in his spirit form. But instead, this spell, rather than bringing him back, just brings back his bottom half so that you can't actually talk to him. But it's just a really sweet journey that these two brothers go on to. But it's about their relationship and how they're growing up without the parent. Whereas I think the Croods looks at it from the other angle, where it's about the parent looking at their daughter growing up. So I think that would be an interesting thing to look at from the other point of view. So yeah, onward. That's my yeah, my. Right to that is another Nick Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen this one or any of the others we've ever discussed, please get in contact with us. We're at Cage Fighting Pod on the socials or any emails to cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Please make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and also make sure you send us any questions that you have. Uh, thank you for listening this week. We truly appreciate it. And for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. Stay safe. And it's meant to be a chilly one this week. So for your uh, bald brethren, get a hat as well. <laughs> Stu, would you like to say goodbye? What kind of hat, though? Because uh, since I've, I've, I've gone full dressing here and again now, because it's still in, it's almost like the netherworld of oh, hoodies should have been banished by now and we should be just in, in t shirts and maybe a sweatshirt with no hood. But like when when I had the the incident a couple of weeks ago, and I and I couldn't sh- I couldn't shave my head because it hurt to touch. And when I finally did do it, it was like a hamster in the bath. There was that much of it. But then I went outside again, and I was so cold that I thought I'm going to get really ill doing this. And so I went full jet hat again, like full fully like kind of. But what is it? It's it's more than a bobble hat. It's got like a fleecy line inside, yeah. hasn't it? Them ones, yeah. Yeah, it's like it shouldn't. We shouldn't be doing this in March, but we're going to have to now, and it's the only way forward. Well, I think I'm going to end up getting one of those. But the, the problem is, they're so they're so hipster. Dare I make a coffee when I'm wearing it? <laughs> one of those like fisherman hats. They're like really shallow. Um, uh, yeah, like a toque. they've got like oh what? Sorry, toque. I think is, is, that, the, term? is, that, is that the term. Let yeah. me give it a. Let me give it a. How do you spelling that? Oh, I don't know. T T O U C. Two hat. Oh, T O Q U E. A winter hat or watch cap. I mean, uh, that, that's a very hipster way of even spelling it, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I want one basically. I think. Um, which one? Who is it on the fan cast that wears one? I keep seeing it in their pictures. Um, Playfair, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think one of those hats, really, because I don't want, um, I don't want anything. I don't want it to cover. My, I just need the. Just, uh, basically, I should be wearing um, what? do the uh, what do Jewish people wear? A kip kipper, not a kipper. Uh, a kip. What's it called? Uh, the, the skull cap. The, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. need one of them, but a bit thicker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anyone was was to know the name of a hipster fishing accessory, you would. It would be... <laughs> Well, he's sitting here with a tea cozy on and his beard bigger than ever. Yeah, to be fair, I have like uh, this one that I've got on at the moment. I'm sort of evolving out of my Seahawks hat because, as you say, it is like a fleecy lined hat isn't enough, but this doesn't really cover my ears. So, like, my earlobes are out now. So, that's how we're earlobes in for the summer. (laughs) Yeah, the the earlobes are out. So, we're slowly morphing into the summertime. So, this is quite a thin one. So, this might be the, uh, the way forward, I'm thinking. There's your weather. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's goodbye from me and remember. Be excellent to each other.